0: Episode 196 of the PJ Archive comprises two interviews I did with the American-British actor and singer David Soule, who had international number one hits with songs such as Don't Give Up On Us and Silver Lady, during his five-year stint in the mid-to-late 70s as Detective Ken Hutch Hutchison on the US TV cop series Starsky and Hutch. David also had memorable roles as Joshua Bolt in the comedy western series Here Come the Brides and Officer John Davis in the Clint Eastwood movie Magnum Force, among an impressive list of screen credits. His distinguished stage career has included Jerry Springer the musical and The Dead Monkey, which he was working on in London when I did my first interview with him in 1998. I started by asking David for a
1: memorable experience of being recognised. Flying from Moscow to Kyrgyzstan, Tashkent, on an Aeroflot flight, yeah. and having somebody come up to me and said, "You're you're David Soule, aren't you?" I'm just asking, much. That was very strange. <laughs> it was 90, that was like 1991. It must
0: happen every day, doesn't it? Well, you're still very so, when, so
1: oh, well. I sh- yeah. I mean, it's not something you can deny happening. It's just uh, there are other things in my life which are obviously much more important. I don't. I really don't go around and tally. Mm. I'm, I'm not a poll taker, no. you know, I mean my work yeah. stands for, for what it is and that's the way I like it to be mm. It lives, it says mm. what it's supposed to say and mm. if you like it, thank you If, it, if you don't, then well, up yours well, At the time, you were a
0: huge pop star as well, a very successful singer and actor Do you kind of miss that hater or people of girls screaming at you and running down the street after you and things like that? I never liked it in the first place.
1: Why would I like it? I don't I'm going to ask you a question. Do you think is it to be assumed that pop stars yes, like it? Yes, I
0: think. Most to be assumed, do. okay. It's people
1: assume they do. Right, that's what I'm saying. But do you but think I'm most a, pop stars? I mean, do you think the people assume that most pop stars like yes. it? Yes. Okay. Well, I'm not one of them. Right. Okay. I like people. I don't like fans. Right. Why? Because fandom to me is. Um, I've just never been comfortable with it. I'm just not comfortable with it. I think it's because uh, so often fandom turns into fanaticism, and you want to say to somebody, "Hey, you know, I appreciate your interest and your and your, 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 that you like it," and, but you know, get a life. You know, there, there's more to life out there. You know, and if we can help each other through, I mean, I'm glad I give you entertainment that you enjoy, all right. And, you, know, and, so, but, you know, you're you important, too. If you're living in life, you know, you are important. So I never was very comfortable with that. I, was, I spent a lot of time trying to explain to people why you don't grab at people to get their autograph. You know, and I spent more time trying to explain this to each person by the time I'd finished signing 15 autographs an hour and a half later. Because I'm trying to say, hey, look, you don't really push in there and grab and then you get five thousand people screaming and pushing and you end up scrolling something that doesn't mean anything and throwing it out there it's like it becomes mindless what are the more extreme examples of of things like that that you experienced oh one i guess probably the most frightening one was um in argentina 80s i was in a truck Uh, i had to get out of this place in a truck people stopped it and rocked the truck and actually turned the truck over no, I was in there by myself. Right. And uh, the security guy. Because they had to bring us out. And, and um, I, don't know, I was electrocuted on stage. You were what? Electrocuted on stage. Really? I was in Chile. Because it rained and the, the, uh, they they grounded the oh, wire. Uh, it was knocked me on my ass, Right. basically. I just yeah, <laughs> those yeah. enormous yeah. shocks. Did you often this go back to your hotel <laughs> and find <laughs> girls in your closet and all things like <laughs> that? <there? laughs>
0: Never unless I put there. them there no uh, <laughs> no.
1: <laughs> never that sometimes point. they say hey, wait, wait for <laughs> me in the closet and <laughs> no, I go back and say oh I'm <laughs> glad you're still here <laughs> no I didn't uh, uh, no, unless I put that. them there but did they rip the <laughs> clothes off and things they like that <laughs> all that sort of thing they didn't steal them <laughs> you rip em off? But you no. dig <laughs> dig <laughs> them off so we no them there's them never the <laughs> so we no there's never quite that I don't know you know for me it's not important well if they are a true stalker I wouldn't know it would I Lots of weirdos. I've got a file full of weirdos, mostly. Oh, yeah. That's what makes them weird. They don't let go easy. You know, they hold on a long time. Basically, people are people, and that's the way I like to... Uh, you know, treat people as human beings, and and that's what I expect from other people, to be treated as a human being.
0: How much fan mail do you get now compared to what you got in your sort of Starsky skiing I don't know.
1: Ask Vanessa Phelps, she'll tell you. Her first question to me on Big Breakfast was, what does it feel like to be a guy who got 30,000 fan letters a week? And now you get nothing. I said, you cow. <laughs> that, that we even talk about those kinds of things bores the hell out of me. Okay? okay? I mean, I'm not saying this personally. No, no that's right. But it, it's so irrelevant okay. and so absolutely, unbelievably banal, you know? People respond, you know, like you get letters. And I have, I've i been in correspondence with people for yeah, years. Well, can you
0: tell me how many episodes over how many years you did? Do you remember what years you did it?
1: Yeah, I was 75 to uh, 1980, up to 1980, right. so we did about 90, 90 plus.
0: And how do you look back upon it now, with great affection,
1: or...? Yeah, absolutely.
0: Were they the best years of your lives or no. life?
1: No. I just look back with great affection. I mean, I've made a friend for life. In Paul? Yeah. Yeah. And um, we did good work. We worked hard. Okay. We took a show that was supposed to be one thing and actually turned it into something else, and it was a... It was a show that was kind of a watershed kind of show in a sense that it, it took, quote, cop shows into a, a different arena. It, it meant basically that you were a cop second and you were a human being first. Yeah, yeah. And it had the humor, it had me and thee, it, you know, you lay your life down for your friend mm. and the rest of the world can go to hell. You know, it's about friendship. Mm. It's about who we are. And then, and then out of that comes the response to the community. Mm. And I think that's what the show is all about.
0: Are you still being asked to do things today um,
1: together? Uh, oh, yeah. Every year, somebody, you know, somebody, they've been wanting to do it for years and years and years. Right. And we just haven't, you know, life moves on. Mm. That's what I was saying before. You're very proud and, and, and very happy about what happened.
2: But it, what, it happened.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. that's what happened means. That's yeah. why we have a past tense. You know, yeah. it's what's, what are we doing now? Where does that take you? Mm-hmm. Fame and success and money and power—all those things are only valuable insofar as how you use them.
0: Do you think you appreciated them at the time? Do you think you appreciated? No,
1: not very time? much. I didn't. I, I, it think, I it. think I wanted. It. No, I don't regret that because no, uh, because it was. I learned through that. It takes a, a lifetime for stubborn people to learn anything, so and, and that's a very important statement as far as I'm concerned. Because sure. it's not a question of. Uh, It's not being happy in the moment. It's not Mm. being successful. It's not going for, you know, the short-term goal, short-term success. It's meted out over a lifetime. Mm. And we forget that. We have a very small kind of uh, attention span, uh, particularly in the media. Very small attention span. They have no sense of history.
0: So from the very beginning of that series all the way through to today you've always been close to paul you've always got on very well
1: before the series
0: oh, you knew each other before that yeah isn't that way? interesting
1: back in new york that. i know you didn't know that right. nobody does right. i knew him in new york sure when we so, first started out
0: all right tell me a bit about that
1: nothing to know two out of work actors right hanging out in new york
0: so was it the two of you's idea to get together to do that series no now? somebody else put you together it
1: came it came totally out out of left field Gosh, amazing! Yeah, it just and
0: happened. He's had some very sad stuff happen in his mm-hmm. family over the last yeah. um, decade or so. Have you helped him a lot through that? Do I know?
1: don't know. I can, I've been there. I don't know if I've helped him or not. You
0: mean he, you've been there for him to, to talk to? Yeah, him, yeah I called, and you
1: know, I've been. Right. We have many. We have been. Li- I've been gone. I, I was in Paris when when Elizabeth died, uh, and I spoke to him the, the day she died, and I was there as his representative for the international AIDS conference that was going on there on the Eiffel Tower with you know the big AIDS conference
0: how did it affect you all that because you must have known them well
1: well, just I saw a man um, uh, my friend for whom I felt deeply but I I felt I also watched a man a man emerge from that a man who developed a, a sense of life and living unique among men uh, developed an enormous courage things which sounds ironic to say it but develop a kind of strength he probably never would have developed had mm. that not happened and in a way it's a testimony to her death mm. but it's a testimony to life that these that the events such as that which are as tragic as they are yeah. are not just it's like with Diana yeah. you don't just sit and mope about it yeah. and pine about it you know it becomes it's like with Kennedy we yeah. were talking about Kennedy yeah. before yeah. you know there is a when something is taken mm-hmm. away from you ripped away from you like that it can just devastate you, tear you to pieces but it's the degree and the, it's the it's will yet. to live yeah. and to see clearly what the mm. death means yeah. and that death is very much a part of our life and, and and to accept that as part of our life gives us the, the kind of courage and strength to move forward into areas that we never thought we could go And that's where Paul was, and that's what I admire so much about him. Absolutely. And he's just remarried and has a brand new baby girl, Zoe, who just turned one about three days ago.
0: When did you actually last see Paul? Do you see him a lot, or do you just saw him Christmas time,
1: last Christmas, and then I spoke to him a couple of days ago. Hopefully, he'll be coming over here.
0: Is he the closest friend you've got, or is he just one of many close friends?
1: I don't have many close friends.
0: Is that because you're quite wary of people? No, no, I'm,
1: I'm, I'm probably more open. Than um, I need, than I should yeah. be, and it may uh, wariness and openness. I think are, are 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 the same thing, wearing two different coats. Okay. I think um, being too open means that you you don't have to commit anywhere, and uh, you know, um, <coughs> strangers are easier not easier to know than people who are really close to you. Mm, Wary does the same has the mm. same thing. You just don't yeah. you stay away from people, so. Um, I have very few friends and I count him probably as, my, as one of my handful of very best friends in the world.
0: Because you explained earlier that you don't have a lot of friends in Hollywood, you're not someone who just mixes not. with actors.
1: Yeah. Well, you mix with actors. It doesn't mean they're friends. Right. It's like you can mix with a journalist, but that right. doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that you're all friends. Um, we, we share, a, there's a, a certain commonality there, but I think, I think in the world of business and fame and fortune and all that kind of crap. It's a it's a very thin thread that holds us together. I think it's I mean relationship is defined in a lot of other better terms than than the commonality of those things. And I got t- frankly I got sick and tired of hanging on to the umbilical cord of the telephone in L.A. And I got I got tired of being a slave to the system, in Los Angeles. So I left. Do you still have a home there? No, I sold it. So you've just got the one home
0: which you rent in London, that's it?
1: I've got a rented home in London and that's it.
0: Right. Do you miss LA? Do you miss America? Do you think you'll go back there ultimately? Or do you happy to stay in London? No,
1: I miss my kids. Right. But I bring them over. My daughter spent two months this summer and my kids, my boys are probably coming over at Christmas time. We spend two, three months together. I've got six of them, you Mm -hmm. know. know. Two of them are out now. They're out on their own. But I was back in August. One son got married, and the other one's acting in L.A. You know, they're on their own; they're doing their thing. And when we get together, we get together. Right. Uh, the younger ones, um, i brought them over to Europe uh, mm-hmm. several times now since I've been over here.
0: Do you think ultimately they'll they'll take you back to America? They'll you'll, you'll want to go and live over there. With them? I I have no
1: idea. If there's anything pulling me back now, it's it's the kids. And the reason for that is time goes fast. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, and um, these are these are formative mm. years. Now, it doesn't mean that I have to be there for their formative years, but one way or the other, it's got to, you know, either I'm there or they're here, you know, but then they've got mothers as well, mm. and, you know, it's how to balance all that mm. out. Gratefully, I've got a relationship with, with their mothers, which is very good.
0: Every single one of them. Every,
1: every one of them. It's a great, great concept, isn't it? I should have had that before I got married. Yeah. Uh, Friendship is the most important thing. Uh,
0: do you, do you actually see that as a key to why the things
1: didn't work out in those yeah. all those different cases? I think, um, in retrospect, mm. you know, I, I, I say that I think friendship is the is the key. I watched Tootsie last night. Yes. Did you I see it? I did. You know that last scene, standing God, on the sidewalk, and she yeah. said, "I miss." She said, "I miss Dorothy." And he says, "You got Dorothy." He says, "We got the friendship," and that was the, that's the key. Mm. If we have the friendship to begin with, then mm. the rest of it. But we're attracted by so many other things. So is the media. So is the press. And we, and that's what we support with people mostly is the look. It's oh god, what a great looking couple. What a, mm. you know, she's wealthy. He's not. Maybe he married her for her money. Maybe she married him mm. for his. Maybe you know, power. All, all these different reasons. We I mean, have these wonderful glitzy pictures of people's marriages last two and a half weeks, and then the next set comes along, and we say, oh great, we're going to try this one mm. too. This whole idea, and you know, I speak from experience no. now, the whole idea of developing friendship mm. first.
0: Do you think show business was in any way to blame in any, in any of the cases? No,
1: no. Nobody's to blame except yourself. Show business doesn't help because it doesn't encourage that. Mm. It's not, that's not what it's about. Mm. It's about selling. Show business is about selling. It's not about friendship.
0: Your personal life has been well documented. Is it something which still brings you great anxiety when you think back on it or no. great regrets and things? No.
1: Not anymore, I've dealt with it, I've um, come to terms, it took me a while to come to terms with it, but you come to terms with it, and uh, the last thing I want to do now is live in regret. I I dealt with the people from whom I had to ask forgiveness. And they have forgiven you Absolutely. And with that, I don't need to, uh, I'm not going to sit under that uh, that umbrella of shame Hmm. anymore, I don't need to.
0: You seem to be a very new, you know, a refreshed guy, a completely new chap, is that how you look at yourself?
1: Nah, I'm not starting out anymore. I'm not a kid anymore. I still have the passion and the heart and the feeling and the energy, but I have, I have come more in terms of accepting myself. This is who I am. You know, you can call me what you like and I, I still get upset and rankled yeah. by this, that and the other, but yeah. basically what you see is what you get. Yeah. I'm a very talented man, I have lots and lots of different yeah. possibilities and, and the only person who can make that really function or to start is me then I need other people to work with and the degree to which I fit in the marketplace in which people will want me again or not want me again is really I mean that's up to a lot of different but I could start with me and in that sense I suppose there is a freshness about it I don't feel uh, resentful regretful I'm not blaming anybody it is what it is Mm. you know and accept that
0: in the press, they often describe you as a reformed alcoholic, and yet you still you still may have to have a drink and, and everything is fine. That's okay.
1: Yeah, well, I don't know what that means, a reformed... I mean, you're still yeah.
0: receiving treatment of some kind? or that's no, 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 no,
1: no, no. Well, at the moment, I'm seeing... I continue to have counselling, absolutely.
0: Right. Yeah, that's necessary.
1: No, it's my choice. These things are not done by... I don't know yeah. who. Yeah. You, it's not a prison sentence. Right. I mean, people go to gyms to work on their bodies, why shouldn't they go to, to, to counselling to find yeah. someone to talk to for the for their emotions, right. mind. It's integrated.
0: See, one of the shocking things about the play for me was knowing you know, a little bit about what happened to you in the past, else, and yet seeing it sort of reenacted on the stage was quite extraordinary.
1: This is partly why you're drawn to this play, because it's sort of a cathartic thing. Is that what it's all about? I suppose that's one way of looking at it. Although for me, I've come to a, a a point where I recognize it going on around me a lot more than I recognize it (laughs) I mean not a lot more a lot more but I've seen it in my own life one of the things that you'll see in the play also is that the guy feels a certain I mean like most of us do when we do irrational things the first thing we feel is remorse and regret for having done what we've we've Mm -hmm. done that doesn't cover the consequences the consequences are still there but the remorse is there like oh god I didn't want to do that didn't mean to do mm. that. And then you have to go back and you have to understand how, that, how mm. that all occurs. One of the things that's really important to me about that play is that it's a recognition of ourselves as animals. It's something we don't want to do. We, we think we're above the animal. But there are certain responses that animals have, that we have, and to recognize that, not to pass blame and not to justify, but to recognize it gives a place for us to begin to work. Now, when I see hundreds and hundreds of thousands of families torn apart by domestic violence, mm. the violence is perpetrated not just by the man upon the woman, right. but by the woman on the man. Uh, all kinds of violence: right. is emotional violence, religious yeah. violence, it's all kinds of stuff. And uh, and I realize that there is such a dearth of understanding in our own communities, mm. and a w- an unwillingness to to confront mm. that, uh, confront ourselves, and the the thing whatever that thing is that, that sort of the specter of the, that surrounds us, we just don't want to face it. A play like this faces it head on. So it's mm. good for you in that respect. It it doesn't absolutely. Sort of in a way, it's kind of nice to step back and say, life does not uh, imitate art, mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And so it's in your case. I think it's a writer writes about what he knows, yeah. you know. A filmmaker makes films yeah. about what he knows. A painter paints what he knows mm. an actor should act what he knows which mm. is himself it doesn't mean to play every role in the world it mm. just means there is that part of myself which is obviously involved uh, in this play How long uh, do you consider yourself a reformed character as it were rid of all that stuff I don't reform is constant one of the problems with the reform is that somebody thinks that once there is a reformation that somehow things stop so no reformation to... is only has value as it is a continuing thing. There is no open door, closed door. My reform, my reformation, is going to be a lifelong process.
0: Do you think out was good or bad for your career?
1: Any work is good.
0: Has it um, damaged your chance of getting other parts and things?
1: Well, if, if I didn't get that part, how am I going to get other parts? If I didn't get other parts, how am I going to get that one? I mean, it's like, I mean, it's, it's a catch-22. Okay. Um, No, I mean, I'm very proud of the work we did. Mm. No, it's a very important part of my life. It's just not the only Mm. part of my life. Mm.
0: (laughs) You've been quoted as blaming a lot of your difficulties on your upbringing and your parents. Is that still your belief, or have you changed since then?
1: I've been uh, totally misquoted.
0: Right, because very often it's been written that your Lutheran upbringing, your very disciplining parents and all that, were responsible for...
1: Well, uh, no. I mean, I think I can't use terms like blame. They're totally irrelevant terms, and it's an attempt of people to try to figure out how stuff happened and why stuff happened, and it's bullshit. It's absolute bullshit. I grew up in the Midwest. Now, the Midwest is a very fundamental religious area, you know, and it, it's it built into the body politic. It's built into the community, mm. it's built into the family, it's built in, and it's it's eroded very, very quickly over these last 30 years as mm-hmm. television has taken over and turned a lot of value systems up on their head, you know, as film and television really and marketing and all that kind of crap. Are well, you kind of but, still with us, David? Oh, yeah. And, and yeah they're they're still, still,
0: are you still are you in good terms with them
1: now? Yeah, more or less. I mean, yeah, I can say my, my childhood was impacted enormously by fundamental religious... Uh, indoctrination. It didn't come just from my parents. It came from almost every corner of the, of the, of the right. community. That's just the way it was. Yeah. It just right. happened that way. you know. And, and and my reaction to that was to flee. I didn't want to be around it. I couldn't be accepted for myself because anything that I thought and anything that I felt that I that did was uh, sinful.
0: You've been through a heck of a lot in your life, great you know, ups and great downs. Do you see yourself as a survivor?
1: Um, on a bad day, mm-hmm. I'll call myself a survivor, when I'm not feeling great about myself. And on a, on, a, on a good day, a man who's been uh, greatly enriched with a lot of experience, which I can either use in a positive way or I can succumb to in a negative kind of way. Um, survivor, uh, as a career, I suppose, uh, that remains to be seen, but up to this point I've survived somehow. Manage to survive. I mean, there's been enormous peaks and valleys. Career is a very kind of it's an arcane yeah. sort of
0: yeah. sort of
1: dances. Yeah. Career is never one line. Mm. And um,
0: if you were to get knocked over by a bus tomorrow, how would you like people to remember you and think of you?
1: <laughs> if he had, if he just hadn't taken that step off the curb, <laughs> he might still be with us. <laughs> <laughs> he took that he, he had to do it didn't he um, for my good work the quality of my work the quality of my passion I don't know if I can be any more clever than that
0: <laughs> do you worry that people will remember you as much for your personal troubles as for your great no. success no
1: that's their problem not mine yeah. I mean you can't please all the people all the time and I'm certainly not one of those people who thinks you can uh, I live enough of my life worrying about what other people think of me yeah. and frankly I don't give a shit
0: what would you like for the rest of your life what would you like to see
1: well i'd like to take this experience uh, and take one step at a time i do very believe very much in the, the day at a time theory i think that there is a there is a point to making to having goals yes i think but in order for those goals to be achieved you have to think day to day today and i think what i'd like to do is, is i'd like to fulfill whatever possibilities there exist with the dead monkey i'd like to see that play have a A rebirth Mm. in a sense in the West End and survive the slings and arrows and build an audience and then I'd like to take that beyond uh, to tour this play and we've always had the dream from the moment we read the play Mm. to do it as a film Mm. and it should be done as a film I think Mm. it could be a very effective uh, Mm. motion picture and beyond that I have several other things that I want to do that are sort of um, a synthesis of a lot of what we've been talking about. One of them is seen through the eyes of the music of Charles Aznavour, who's a dear, dear friend for many years and and an inspiration to me for many years before that. And I'm writing a a show using his music as kind of the emotional inner life of the character, Uh, although the character finds himself at a a critical point in his midlife when he's terrified of tomorrow. And so the, the Aznavour voice, which is... Without judgment, it's always talks about new beginnings. But he has have you have to face the present. Mm. Plays in counterpoint to where this guy finds himself. You know, the older he gets, the tighter he wears his jeans. The older he gets, mm. the younger the chick is on his arm. The you know, the more he flaunts the money, the more he's f- afraid of losing the money. The more you know, desperate he becomes. Um, After that project, what will you? And then um, I want to do a project on the life of Dietrich Bonhoeffer. It was a German pastor hanged as part of the conspiracy to kill Hitler. It's a remarkable story that I think um, needs to be told. told. It's a story that I grew up in Berlin, and I knew the family. My father worked with the refugees fleeing out of the East Mm. in the 40s, in the 50s. And um, Bonhoeffer's family was still alive. Five brothers and sisters were killed uh, by the Nazis for their stand. And um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a theologian, a pastor, who said the only act as a Christian that he could be involved, that he could do, was to murder Hitler, which is exactly against. Yeah. But in, in all of the guilt and shame that Germany has suffered since the war, in which they still suffer to some degree, very few voices have been raised about people within who said, no, I have to be here and fight with with the Jews and with those who were, who were put upon in order that after the war I can help to reconstruct it. And those were the people who were murdered. Those were the people who were killed by the Nazis.
0: There was... Um Big uh, story made of your life one day. What would you like it to be called? <laughs>
1: the Dead Monkey. <laughs> <laughs> that's good. The Dead Monkey. I think that's a good one. Yeah, The Dead Monkey.
0: Yeah. There's a famous nightclub in London, Starsky and Hutch. How do you feel about that? Will you be going down there?
1: Oh, well, I've been there uh, from time to time. Um, I think most of the kids there probably don't remember Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> yeah, it's, I mean, it's. Starsky Hutch Club is really has more to do with the revitalization of everything that's the 70s and of that I suppose Starsky and Hutch in a way was right in the middle of it sort of epitomizes the cool the coolness of the 70s and and certainly uh, that club uh, represents this rebirth of the everybody's interested in the 70s from style to music to whatnot of course back in the 70s we weren't aware that we were creating something like that no. we were just going to work <laughs> do you still watch it at all once in a while when it's on i usually see it in japanese
2: <laughs> when you're staying out or french
1: there. france yeah. is the other place that are absolutely bonkers over stansky notch really france is like forget about it is it funny watching yourself dubbed into another language yeah it was really funny until i met the people who did the dubbing oh and then i got on with them famously it's a wonderful story about a guy in France who does my my voice, and he was on a he was asked to go down do a radio interview in the South of France, and they announced it by saying Hutch is going to be on. And of course, they only know him, me through his voice, so that was fine. He went on for the interview, and then there was this whole crowd of girls waiting for him outside the stage door, <laughs> and he came out and, and they almost killed him because of course he didn't look like Hutch. He's about five foot two. Bears no resemblance whatsoever. (laughs) And they they almost tarred and feathered him right there uh, on the spot because he wasn't the visual. (laughs) But that's how strong the voice is. Oh,
0: yeah. How funny. (laughs) Do you have it all on video or is it not something that you keep? No, I don't
1: have... uh, I only have the ones I directed. Right. Which was how many? Four. That's where Paul and I began our directing careers. Have you worked together again since? No. We haven't appeared together. We haven't worked again. I'd love to work with Paul. We may do so with a dead monkey, who knows?
0: This is Peter Jonathan Robertson. My second interview with David Soule took place over the phone in 2014. The Chicago-born actor and singer had by then not only lived in London a long time, he'd been granted British citizenship. And at that time, he had a very different work project.
2: Well, I'm uh, I'm in the process of uh, working with a, with a group of people to restore Ernest Hemingway's 1955 Chrysler New Yorker Deluxe in Cuba. I'm doing a documentary as well on it. And, of course, uh, issues in, in Cuba go far beyond just restoring a car. Well, I'm a UK citizen as well, but uh, I'm also a US citizen. Yes. And the uh, US government, the United States government has a way of looking at... Uh, its citizens irrespective of its of, of dual citizenry uh, you know under the, under the uh... existing law of, of the country so mm-hmm. and this little uh, offer on my part to help the museum which is also his was his home for twenty two years uh... to get this car restored and and exhibited there on the property <laughs> it's turned into a political football as well Oh no. Yeah, it's uh, it's very uh, very strange. Very kind of uh, interesting. I had no idea I was going to get into this, you know.
0: How did you get into that project then?
2: Well, I got my British passport of course and uh, not realizing the uh, the situation as a US citizen, I, you know, I said because well, I've dreamt about going to Cuba since I was a kid and read uh, old Man of the Sea. He's my my literary hero, this guy, yeah. you know, I read everything he's written. And uh, well, not everything, but uh, many things that he's written. And um, I you know, always wanted to go, but of course, as a US citizen living in the US, um, that was an impossibility, unless you get a you know special license,
0: Yeah.
2: which is, it's just so stupid. It's such a draconian, dumb, stupid law <laughs> that they've got the embargo, this sanction thing is. Anyway, then I got my British passport, because I was here, my British citizenship. I was here since 1995. Yeah, yeah and uh, I've earned it, and uh, I got it. And I thought, oh, now I can go. <laughs> so I did. You know, I got befriended the people. I made my pilgrimage to, the, to his home where he lived for 22 years. Mm-hmm. And it's a museum curated, taken care of by the Cuban people. Yeah. I mean, he's revered down there and um, became good friends with these people and uh, was able to provide a couple of things that were missing in the house because I, I, I had that contact. So they came to me at some point and said, listen, we've got a special project here. It's a little delicate, but we had just pulled the car out of a jungle shed and wow. um, it's a wreck, it's a mess. And we want to restore it and put it on the property. would you help us? Huh? And I know nothing about restoration, but oh. um, I said, uh, yeah, sure, <laughs> no, no, it was very simply. And I came back to, the, to to England, not knowing one, you know, a ball bearing from a yeah. water pump. And um, what am I going to do? I googled uh, classic cars, yeah. I guess,
0: uh-huh.
2: and up came Practical Classics, which is a a publication here in in the UK, mm-hmm. uh, which is the largest and the largest publication of its kind, which is a classic car magazine. And I called the editor and told him a story of what, what i 'm doing, and They said they flipped over this thing, so <laughs> they linked me up with various people here and there and so forth and, and my relationship with them has grown and grown and grown, and uh, they were able to get their one of their advertisers to put put some money in to to buy the parts and to ship them but we couldn 't ship directly from the u s to Cuba, so the parts were shipped to u k and then from here u k on to Havana, and um, that's the way it's been working.
0: Which channel is going to film the documentary? or is No,
2: it there's no, no, I'm doing it. Okay. I'm, I've, I've uh, funded it so far, we're trying to raise the money. It's a feature. Right. It's a 90-minute feature, because it's, yeah. we're using the uh, restoration of the car as a kind of metaphor for uh, changing the society yeah. in Cuba, you know, and there's a lot of, for instance, the New York Times over the past six weeks or so, every week it's come out with a with an editorial condemning the the, um, the embargo and saying it's time to pull it down, and the n- number of American citizens now, the, the percentage has has, go- has gone from um, minus to plus. Get right. rid of this sanction, yeah. even in Miami, where there's a, a lot of the Cuban population has made a new home. You know, the old generation is dying off, and the new generation is like, time. Let's get let's get on with it. Let's mm. drop this thing. And um, so we're at a propitious time here to um, maybe put some pressure on, you know,
0: yeah.
2: <laughs> on the government. I I may be in some trouble. You know, <laughs> I've got to be careful about this. But I basically said, fuck it. I put in for a license, but they take forever. It's bureaucracy. Yeah. They take forever. The OFAC or the Office of Financial Assets Control, which is under the State Department.
0: Do you hope to be the first person to drive the car since Hemingway?
2: Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. But uh-huh. I think. There's a whole mythology that goes around that car. Passed on from one person to the next and then was buried for 18 years in this garage and or garage, as we say, over here in England. Yeah. And, uh, and uh, I don't think I was the first person, but I certainly am the first person to be actively involved in restoring it. There are a number of people that have wanted to restore it in the past, but yeah. they got scared you know, away by the... Mm. Uh, the threat of uh, prosecution. There's criminal charges and there were also heavy, heavy, heavy fines. Two hundred and something thousand. Mm. Somebody else got fined a couple of million. Uh, Banks have gotten fined extraordinarily. So I've made a decision. I'm I'm telling you, like, because I have I have not spoken about this, but I finally said, as I said moments ago, I said, I fuck it. This is ridiculous. If they want to drag me in, can you imagine the kind of public relations we could get going on that? Exactly. You know, it's this is the literary hero and one of the most celebrated authors in American history.
0: It's funny because I was watching a Woody Allen film on on DVD the other day, Midnight in Paris, about this author. Have you seen that one?
2: Yeah, Yeah. I have. Yeah, Yeah. but I know know Muriel very, you know, and uh, bits and pieces of the family for, for years.
0: Yeah, I met Margot Hemingway years ago. Yeah, it, well, yeah. unfortunately, she's not with us Yeah, anymore. that's right, yeah. Well, oh, this interview's supposed to be the day that changed my life. Did you choose a particular day?
2: The British citizenship probably stands out. That would be one, uh, although I, I grew up in Berlin right after the airlift in 1949 to '56, My father was there, so those, those years were very, very telling in Berlin and, uh, and, uh, and I think uh, moulded me in, in, in a number of ways. I mean there's a number of things you know uh, choosing my path and, and going from teaching to, to acting in Mexico City but I was given my first guitar and uh, taught so there are a lot of little things along the way that yeah. that change the course of okay. one's life you know okay having six children that's another big yeah. thing but I, I think the pride in getting a us uh, uk citizenship would stand out I think I came here in 1995 and I got uh, citizenship, finally, in 2004. Yeah, I mean, it was like, a, it was a real, my reading really felt like I was, okay, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here. You're I'm, official. I'm, a, I'm, I'm here, I'm now, I'm a whinger.
0: <laughs> You're officially a Brit.
2: <laughs> officially a whinger,
0: yep. <laughs> Do you describe yourself as British now?
2: Uh, I say I'm both. Right. And do you yes. feel different?
0: How d- how different do you feel since you've got... Not
2: since- really uh, any, any different, except that I can vote, which is nice, and it's a real plus. I mean, I, I feel very proud to be able to, to, to vote. I mean, I, I'm a citizen. That's really important to me. I, I, I still vote in the U.S. as well, male vote, but because uh, I am a male. <laughs> 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 you know, it's something extended, which I feel very, very good about. I like... Uh, I like to be able to, to be part of the community. And, of course, I've, I've, have, I've grown up in communities like Maida Vale and, and Highgate and then Hampstead. And uh, I found myself involved mm-hmm. quite a bit with various organizations from time to time. Not well, something that I, I trumpet because I'm not a, I, don't, I don't do that anymore. I don't go out and trumpet things and okay. just, uh, just get on with it tell us about
0: your early relationship with britain did you come here as a child did you uh only come here when? Um,
2: well yeah, i did i did when you know we traveled uh, when i was between the ages of six and twelve of course and went we came back and forth from the states a couple of times and you know came with my folks uh, on our way back or to germany to berlin and to munich and we come through southampton you know on the way to Mainland, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and uh, so that was early on, and then, then of course, with the music, um, I came over and toured a couple of times back in seventy, what was it seventy-seven, something like that.
0: Had you not come over with Starsky and Hutch at all, with the popularity? Yeah, I came over.
2: The, I was a, I, I, They had a they thing thing called the Sun Awards over okay. here. Yes, and uh, I came over. They voted uh, Starsky and Hutch as like the number one new, uh, you know, or U.S. Drama, mm-hmm. dramatic show, and they had a big award show, and that was the first, actually the first time I'd ever gotten out um, because you know we were so cloistered in that, mm. and still working sixteen hours a day, we didn't really get out, you know. And I came mm. over here, and the show had been on the air, and it, over here, mm-hmm. and I was terrified. It was, I mean, it was, it was like, uh, there must have been five thousand. There was the estimate five thousand screamers out at the uh, airport in Heathrow. <laughs> And um, it just t- turned into a, a zoo, but it was uh, that was that was my introduction. And then I came over. Uh, it was private stock records, which Larry Utah was the owner of that, and uh-huh. he uh, and it was, it was distributed over here by EMI. Uh-huh. So I came over and did uh, touring, and I had you know number one record over here, two oh. of them, three of them actually.
0: Right.
2: Well, that's that's how I you know so I. am I've had a I've had a relationship. I did a couple of films over here. Well, here and then in Dublin, in Ireland. Mm-hmm. And uh, got viral pneumonia. Oh, damn! <laughs> Down in Devon and Dartmoor. Wow. Yeah, and, uh, and, and spent six weeks in Plymouth. That was uh, back in 70, know, 79 or something like that, mm-hmm. 78, something like that.
0: How do the fans from Britain compare to the fans from the rest of the world?
2: Fan is a fan is a fan is a fan some people are nice some people are pains in the neck and mm. uh worse
0: <laughs> but um they weren't more hysterical here than they were elsewhere or.
2: well i don't know i mean um culturally there are, are differences in in the way you know they uh, there's a lot more screamers over here <laughs> uh, but if i go to a place like uh, japan it's you know which i've also toured in south america yes uh, where the show was big it was huge in both places uh, yeah. and the music as well they were not quite as uh, as vocal
0: mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> i don't know i didn't react to that stuff very well <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> you you got an incredibly warm reception here they they oh, yeah, always loved yeah, you
2: absolutely here. absolutely no i you know i made me feel really comfortable which i guess is one of the reasons why when I was invited to come over to do a play by Bill Kenwright, yes,
0: um,
2: my first you know back in 95, mm-hmm. I really jumped at it. Number one because I had a, I had an experience here in the UK with uh, having toured and uh, the, and the reception was so warm, and secondly because I dreamed I've always dreamed about doing um, theater uh, in, in the birthplace of uh, English speaking theater, and uh, and so I was very very pleased to to accept that, and then of course. I was warmly welcomed.
0: Yeah. Can I just go yeah. back for briefly to your music career here? Because you had, as you say, uh, two or three number one hits, which is fantastic. And what are your memories of doing things like Top of the Pops? Did you go on there with other big stars like David Bowie or something? Do, who did you meet while doing music
2: shows here? I don't remember. I wasn't so much aware of the of other Artist.
1: other groups.
2: I mean, yeah. the Beatles you know, were important and, and Led Zeppelin and Queen and stuff like that, but uh, I didn't do the shows with those with those guys.
0: No. Did you perform at places like the Palladium or whatever and, and think, wow, this is the cream of British entertainment here?
2: No, I didn't. Um, I played a lot of the uh, Apollo theaters around the country. Okay. Uh, we held the record at the Rainbow. Remember the Rainbow?
0: Yes, I do. Yeah. Fantastic. And it was a
2: fantastic rock club, a mm. rock venue. Yeah. I held the record there for selling out faster than any any artist back then, that's yeah. my one claim to fame. But, we, you know, worked in Birmingham and, and Manchester, and all the big cities, you know, Glasgow was yeah. the opening. Then I came back in 1982, this was the time of the Falkland War,
0: Yeah,
2: I, I didn't have a lot of time for, frankly, right. okay. um, <laughs> but I played in all the, you know, all of the um, port cities, port towns, starting with Hull mm-hmm. and going all the way around to Portsmouth and Southampton and mm-hmm. all the way around the, the um, coast. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't really express my feeling about my honest feeling about the yeah. other world because I was playing with our girlfriends and, and wives and you know and people like that. And the most we could do was you know was be comforting. Yeah. So um, I, I t- tailored my show to to that kind of thing. So yeah. you know, and uh, you had to be you have to be sensitive sometimes to what's yeah. going on around you. you yeah, know. Yeah, definitely.
0: So did you feel, even then, a special affinity with the U.K.?
2: Yeah, with the, with the, with the people here, absolutely. Yeah. And, I, and I really love being here. I, I must say, I, I got so tired of L.A., you know, after being there for 20-something, 20 20, 27, 28 years. After a while, it just just eats you eats, eats up you from the inside.
0: What, what is it that eats you up at the inside? What is it that makes you tired it's, of
2: it? It, it? It's a sense of community. Well, you see, Hollywood is a very small place, Beverly Hills and so forth. These are very yeah. small places, but they're they're intense in the sense that uh, it's a very sm- it's a very small world. It's gotten kind of worse now, but it's about who you know, it's about how hot you are,
0: mm-hmm.
2: it's about all that kind of thing, and um, and it just got to it just got to a point where I, uh, it was that's what you, your friends you, you don't even know who your friends are really yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. and. Uh, I come from a small town. I've moved around a lot. I mean, friendship and community and that kind of stuff has always been important to me. And so, um, I had I got to get out. I went to I went to New Zealand. Uh, did a play over there. I did Blood Brothers over there, actually. I oh, yeah. went to Australia. Did Blood Brothers, and then, uh-huh. and then got an invitation to go to Paris. And I went to Paris and did a couple of films there. Uh, and I had a barge on the Seine underneath the t- Eiffel Tower, and then. Uh-huh. Uh, got this invitation after about a year and plus a year plus to come to 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 London, but uh, every place uh, every place I managed to become involved in some aspect of the community, you know. So it, the, the coming here uh, was was no different. Yeah. And then I got to, to touring. Uh, you know. I, I spent a week in each city and. Uh, by the time i left i, I felt i knew the i knew these places a yeah, little yeah. bit you know
0: and did you enjoy the fact that it britain is so small compared to america and if you want to pop up to scotland it's just a few hours whereas with america you want to go from la to new york it's a massive yeah. journey you know
2: yeah but i the, that's the one thing i miss i think is the topography of america just absolutely beautiful places and stuff i i was able to, to, to do the hitchhiking number you know i mean now you you can't hitchhike, but boy, back then, that's how you got around. Mm, mm. And you didn't worry about anything else. You didn't worry about anybody taking advantage of you because people didn't do that kind of stuff. They just, it wasn't that, that's not what, I hitchhiked. I must, Most of my, most of my teenage years mm. and early 20s, mm. I would hitchhike, and I never had a problem whatsoever, mm. you know, so... We've managed to see a lot of the, of of the states. Uh, of course, it's a long way from New York to L.A., but boy, there's a, a, a varietous kind of geography yes. that makes it very it makes it interesting. And so it's not because it's small. You know, Britain is beautiful. Britain is really beautiful, and uh, and it helps sometimes. And its <laughs> distances are not as as great. Mm. Yes, of course it does.
0: You obviously Especially like it in London. Where, whereabouts in Britain have you been that you think is particularly beautiful? Where's a favourite spot you like to go? I like Maybe Devon. Through?
2: I like Devon a lot.
0: Yeah, lovely.
2: I like South Devon. Yes. And I love the bleakness of, uh, of the Dartmoor. Mm. I just I just love uh, that kind of. It's like another world. <laughs> but I I I, I like I, I like being in a place that has <clears throat> steeped in history like this place is. Yeah. I really love that, and I just feel a part. I feel a part of it now. You know.
0: And what is it you particularly like about us Brits?
2: It's going to sound strange coming from a Yank, but I I like the humor. Okay, no, good. Yeah, I like the humor a lot. There are some people that I find annoying, really annoying, like uh, Jimmy Carr. Oh, yeah? (laughs) (laughs) Why do you find him annoying? (laughs) He tries so hard. He tries much too hard.
0: Okay.
2: Uh, Graham Norton I love. Yes, uh, he's great. He's a he? very laid-back kind of guy. And yeah. Very funny and, yeah. and very, very sweet. Uh, did, Paul and I did his show once,
0: mm-hmm.
2: well, years ago, a couple of years back. And uh, uh, no, I like him. Yes, and I love uh, Stuart Lee. I worked with him <clears throat> on uh, uh, Jerry Springer the Opera, where, you know, which uh, I did for nine months yeah, uh, yeah. at the Cambridge, uh-huh. and uh, he wrote the libretto for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh let's see who else um, i just like the humor uh, a lot mm.
0: uh, yeah what do you think of british television generally these days
2: i think uh i mean it's really good i um, it suffers from the same thing that a lot of television ha- does in even in the United states and that is it, it relies so much on uh, uh, reality television mm-hmm. and uh, i find that really <clears throat> hokey and boring i I have never done anything, for instance, I've been asked to do, you know, Get Me Out of Here and uh, Big Brother and all those shows, you know, it's like I, I should be jumping at the, you know, I, I yeah. couldn't, oh my God, man, I wouldn't, I couldn't do that, right. that crap. <laughs> <laughs> my life depended on it. <laughs> <laughs> it
0: would do your head in, wouldn't it?
2: Oh, yeah, it yeah. really would. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, it's a, it's a common ailment. That has uh, afflicted not only the the television in this country, but also uh, television in the United States. Mm. And um, though there, uh, there some of the drama dramas over here are Mm. really, really good. Mm. I like them very much. I like the historical stuff too. Downton Abbey. You know what? I've only seen a few of those things, few of those shows. Yeah. But it's it's, it's, yeah, it's really good. Yeah. Mm. Uh, I think that a lot of people took their hint from (laughs) some of the Danish things that. You know, it came up, and there's another. There's a great. What is it? Missing?
0: Yes, missing. yes, yeah, new one, yeah. And that's, that's
2: a that's a new uh, BBC yeah. thing, isn't yeah,
0: it? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's great. We don't get any more good cop shows, though, do we?
2: No, it's, all of it's too sophisticated. You know, I think I think one of the things that was wonderful about Starsky Notch is that it was uh, it was really, it was really about the relationship, and yes. and uh, it, it, the stories were. No, they were <clears throat> fantastic stories, hmm. but they were—you um, got to—you really felt like you knew these guys. Hmm. Of course, that was a time when we were only three channels, too.
0: Yeah, that's true.
2: And um, so you know, they became part of your family more quickly. Yeah. And certainly during those, that uh, we were a favorite in British households. Mm. The British
0: media seem to be obsessed now with attractive young girls, all the pop stars have to be pretty young girls oh, and God, all the actors. And, and, and how do you feel about that, do you think, do you not think it's a worrying, the way they sexualize pop music, the way that you know, every single TV show has to be no, a girl? Absolutely. No, absolutely,
2: absolutely. No I couldn't agree with you more, I, 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 I really find it, this manufactured uh, sort of selling of sex. Uh, through music um, you know is, is just it 's really not about the music as much as it is about the move mm. you know well, i i don 't know how to say it I mean, in a no ways except it feels really manufactured yeah yeah, yeah. once in a while there 's a fresh a fresh sound that comes comes out and that, mm. and, and you you 're attracted to that you know I, I get attracted to that magnet it 's something like a magnet yeah. but uh, not not very often. And uh, the rest of it, I just don't, I I don't, I do oh, God, give me a break. Not not another one, Mm. you know. Also, I feel shows like um, X Factor doesn't really help. I've learned a lot, but I mean, I have learned something in my almost 50 years of of doing this. Mm. There is such a determination on people's part to be famous. To be a celebrity, Mm -hmm. celebrities Mm -hmm. don't do any. Celebrity doesn't do anything. Celebrity is celebrity, you know. Mm. uh, There's no, (laughs) there's nothing really to celebrate there. Mm. And uh, star, a star, an actor, a sing, a real singer. These are these are things that we should, you know. That's that's what we aspire to. Mm -hmm. And when we started out, when I started out, that's what I wanted to be. Was it was the best actor I could be. And we weren't we weren't celebrities. Nobody used that term actually. You were an actor. and then the celebrity was discovered. Mm. And, um, and and now people wanna be, they wanna be celebrities and stars. Uh, you know, I don't take it away from the young people that come on their show. Mm. And I don't take it away from them as much as I take it away from the manipul- manipulators who use them and then put so much pressure on these guys to be something, to be something they can make something more money out of. And that's what I get from an X, an X factor or, these kind of things—the Simon Cowell approach to you know, to being a star. Yeah. You know? And um, you know, this and you know, people want to want to become part of that. You know, they mm. want they want it so much that they becomes their whole life desire to be. I don't know. In that, in, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard for me to to describe it. I just it's a feeling more than anything else. I just don't like it.
0: Do you have any nice stories about meeting the British royal family?
2: Yeah, one. I just enjoyed her so much. And that's Princess Margaret. Oh, yeah. She came over to uh, L.A. On, on a tour, and she apparently, this was a time when we were doing Starsky and Hush, and apparently she wanted to visit our set to meet. Cause mm-hmm. she, was, she really liked the show. So she came out, and we were shooting, and then uh, at lunchtime, I, Paul and I asked, would you like to go to lunch? <laughs> oh, gosh, she said, yeah. So we went over to the commissary mm-hmm. at uh, 20th Century Fox, and we sat there, and we had, um, well, suffice it to say that we didn't go back to work in the afternoon. <laughs> and we um, emptied a bottle of, drink. <laughs> and, but she was funny, and clever, and so much fun to hang out with. Mm. She was she was great. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed her, and she um, remembered me. I invited her to one of the shows that I was doing, and uh, I got a. This was when she. I guess she scalded her leg or something her foot uh, mm. in a bath or something like that closer to the end than the beginning and um she uh she had to turn me down but she said you know how much she would have enjoyed coming to to, to see the performance would and also have- uh the queen mother i didn't meet her but the word got back to us that, that uh, queen mother said the boys I so sweet well, i like those boys so much <laughs> so <laughs> I, I felt good about that. How about
0: being <laughs> Sir David now that you're a British citizen? Would you like to?
2: No, God, I'm not going to be Sir David.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> Just because I act like it that doesn't mean I have to be. <laughs> <laughs> No, the only person that I would care about having call me that is my wife. She, oh. she may call me Sir David if she likes. <laughs> I call her Lady, I call her Lady, <laughs> Lady Helen. <laughs> oh.
0: And um, you explained earlier that you are entitled to vote here. Will you be voting in the general election next year? And may we know? Yeah, of course I will.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Uh, well, that was one of my very first uh, experiences in politics. Was back in South Dakota when I was uh, seventeen, eighteen years old. Uh, John Kennedy came out to the state. I worked, I worked for him in, in the presidential election, and 15. I actually met him and. Wow when i was a young teenager you know and uh this i mean this is this was an inspirational moment for me it's yeah. a, this is one of the reasons that i wanted to go into foreign service into the oh. peace corps into and uh, he you know he was uh, god he couldn't he, we couldn't be more he could have been more supportive and more open and and, and yeah. grateful to uh, us for uh, young democrats for oh. having worked on his behalf it made us feel like we were the only people in the room, you know, only people, uh, you know, working for him. And it was it was lovely, man. It was such an it was such an inspiration. And uh, so, uh, politics was my my one of my very first choices. I wanted to do it, and I got of course a, my whole life turned around when the guy gave me the, these guys gave me a guitar down in Mexico. He taught me the songs, and I came back. Mexico, go with all these songs, huh? Have you met any British politicians
0: that uh, impressed you? Yeah,
2: oh, yeah, Martin Bell, you know, I worked for him for his, in his re-election, his election back in 97. And uh, Martin is still my one of my dearest friends. He was our oh. best man at our wedding. And um, Bob Stewart, Colonel Stewart, oh, Bob yeah. Stewart.
0: Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah, he's another one. Um, may yeah. we know if
0: you will work with Paul Michael Glazer again? Are you, are you discussing with him any future projects?
2: Uh no not 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 really he's just my best friend he's you know my friend we've got a lifelong friendship here yes. and uh, yeah you know I don't think we we planned to do, do something uh, together but um, that option was taken away when uh, when Ben Stiller and uh, Owen Wilson did uh, the did the, the Starsky and Hutch film
0: yeah not a great um, film. we
2: had we had another film story
0: perfect.
2: yeah ours was picking Starsky Night up 30 years down the road.
0: Yeah.
2: And uh, it was, it was you know, very interesting. We'd both gone off in different directions as characters and actually on the opposite side of, a, of the fence from each mm-hmm. other. And something happens which brings back in a moment from our past life mm-hmm. that will eventually bring us back together again mm-hmm. to have to work. Uh, that that would have been
0: good. It's a shame. It would have been
2: very good. Yeah. yeah.
0: The next time we see you on British television, is it likely to be the Hemingway documentary, Hemingway film?
2: Well, the film, we're hoping to uh, submit it to a lot of festivals, mm. you know, so it's not, uh, I don't know. I mean, uh, at this point, uh, we're in the process of raising funds in order to finish this thing properly.